Hello listeners and welcome to the Unions 21 podcast. I'm Simon Sapper. I'm Becky Wright. And we're here today at the TUC in Congress House. Yes, it's lovely to be back. <laughs> well, I'm not sure about the super aggressive air conditioning that listeners you may find impinging on your listening pleasure That's during this episode. but Keeping us toasty cool. It is, it is indeed. And I'm just going to hand over to Becky now. This episode involves the Low Pay Commission. Of which Simon is a commissioner and one of uh, three from the trade union side. So with us also today are our other commissioners. If you'd like to introduce yourself to our audience, please. I'm Kay Carberry and I'm one of the three trade union commissioners and a former assistant general secretary of the TUC. And it's great to be back here in Congress House. Um, I'm Kate Bell. I'm the other trade union commissioner and I am head of the Rights International Social and Economics Department here at the TUC. So we're in my office. <laughs> Thanks very much for hosting us, Kate. Um, so, I mean, guys, the, the Low Pay Commission, I mean, let's start from the basics. What is it? Well, it's a fine public body that is about to have its 20th anniversary. It was almost one of the first actions of the Labour government after 1997, where they set the commission up to decide each year what the rates of the national minimum wage should be. It's a tripartite body. There are nine commissioners and a small secretariat. The commissioners are three of us from the trade unions. The good guys. <laughs> three Can possibly who, comment. Three who um, represent employers. Ooh, yes. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. <laughs> and it's, it's a very collegiate and cooperative body, um, contrary to Simon's noises <laughs> off there. And there are three independent members, one of whom is the chair, and the other two have been, uh, since the inception of the Commission, academics, uh, labour market economists, labour market uh, specialists. Okay, so from the trade union side, we've got um, you three, and then who from the employer's side have, have we got? Well, we've got um, one person, traditionally the CBI, have had a member, and currently that's a guy called Neil Carberry, who used to work at the CBI, but now works at the Recruitment and Employment Confederation. Um, and he's no relation to me. Yeah, <laughs> very important to note. <laughs> um, we've got someone representing business, um, and then there's a sort of independent employer representative. So uh, Martin McTague and Claire Chapman are the other two commissioners and then there's two academics who are called Sarah Brown and Richard Dickens and the chair is Brian Sanderson. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and I, mean, I think it's, it's important it's important to say I mean the, I mean Richard and Sarah are just I mean the, these are professors of labour market economics or something mm. similar they, you know what they don't what they don't know in that academic sense ain't worth not knowing. Um, I, I think it's also worth adding this, the same tribute to the expert secretariat. Oh, they are good. They are, they are really good. There is Amazing. nobody in the UK who knows more about pay, particularly low pay, and the operation of the labour market than those uh, small number of men and women who really do most of the brain work for the low pay commission. Well, funnily enough, a couple of episodes ago, we spoke to Amy Liversidge, who's the AGS for the um, for the FDA, and we were talking about the stellar work that civil servants do that often goes un unnoticed. And I think it's in those kind of bodies where you really kind of 
you know, you don't really think about it yeah. every day mm-hmm. and then you kind of come up and you realise how lucky we are to have an independent civil service who kind of, people are committed to public service who kind of really know their their stuff and offer impartiality and help to all sides in this really kind of tricky debate. So, well, I mean, I, well, I mean, not least because our remit has to be based on the evidence that, that that's in front of us. I mean, the remit is is essentially, I mean, you know, to push to push the national minimum wage and the national living national minimum wage up as high as we can without jeopardising employment. National living wage is kind of dealt with under slightly different cri- criteria, but obviously, you know, the debate is how high can you go without damaging employment, and you need the evidence to. Uh, to form a judgment on that and the quality of the evidence is really detailed really good so i mean the chair of the lpc sent a letter to the um, to greg clark as the minister for um bays looking at the national minimum wage and recommending kind of changes to that and also to the uh, living wage can you talk us through a bit about how that letter was constructed how those recommendations kind of come together because i think what's really unusual for us is to have a tripartite body in the UK that, that looks at something to do with the labour market. I mean, we're going to get an in, um, Industrial Strategy Council, which is due to come online soon, I think. I'm not entirely sure. I'm looking at Kate because I'm... So they've just announced they've just announced the membership of the Industrial Strategy Council and they've said it's going to be an advisory body. So it's right. not actually a statutory body like the Labour Pay Commission. No. Um, and I think the Labour Pay Commission is actually pretty unique and that's kind of... You know, maybe it should yeah. be less unique actually in British policy making that kind of tripartite body. Yeah, but yeah. the way it does its work is, I think, really interesting. So I guess there's kind of four main things it does. So one is it takes a set of evidence, basically. So both written evidence and then kind of oral evidence, maybe a bit like a select committee, although hopefully a bit less scary, um, where we invite representatives in from worker bodies, from employer bodies, from anyone who thinks they've got an interest in the rate of pay, basically. Um, then there's a set of workplace visits around the country, um, so to try and get kind of a non-London-centric perspective, I guess. Yeah. Um, and each of the commissioners, I think, go on at least three visits a year. So um, I got to go up to yeah. Perth this year, which was really, oh, really what interesting. Did, what kind of workplace did you see? Um, so we went to um, a small convenience store, which is really interesting. Um, learned quite a lot about the impact of alcohol pricing in Scotland, actually. But um, also met people from the Citizens Advice Bureau there, met people from the National Farmers Union. Um, so we get to hear from a hugely diverse range of people. Um, so there's the workplace visits, the oral evidence sessions. Then there's academic evidence, basically. So as we heard, um, the Commission, both the kind of civil service present us kind of the most up-to-date evidence. We also get to hear from um, independent experts like the Bank of England, um, people like the National Institute for Economic and Social Research, commission our own research. And then kind of the last and maybe the most important bit is an actual process of negotiation, Mm -hmm. basically. Mm. So looking at all that evidence, and a really important thing is we all have seen the same evidence, so Mm. we're not arguing about the facts, basically. Which Um, seems almost quite rare in today's climate. (laughs) Everybody agrees. There's no fake news in the Commission. (laughs) (laughs) God, I can't believe we've got to a point in the world where we have to kind of go, oh, hurrah for evidence. Well, but we have, haven't we? There, There is so much, there is so much policy that is made without the benefit of evidence. Or, or with flawed evidence that actually this this really this really should be celebrated. It's a it, you know the low pay commission does a good job. And, I, and I don't I don't think you can overstate that. Um, since it began, every year we have had reports coming out of the low pay commission with consensus based 
decisions. Mm -hmm. And when you think what we've seen happening in the economy in the labour market over the last 20 years, that is quite remarkable. And every year, the government of the day has accepted the low pay commission's recommendations, which again, it's um, pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. There have been a couple of, only two, I think, minor exceptions when one year Gordon Brown just uh, altered the timing of the uh, recommendations implementation and uh, Vince Cable went further on the apprentice rate. But apart from that, uh, the consensus that we've managed to emerge with after our annual retreat when we go away to make our recommendations has been the basis of decisions uh, by the government that put money into the pockets of the lowest paid workers in the UK and unions are in the middle of that process Mm. and those recommendations and I think in this day and age as Kate said um, what was it you that said Becky that it's almost uh, unique I think both of you said can things be almost? I was going to say, anyway, I hear my friends things almost unique. Leaving that aside, I, I, <laughs> there are, uh, it, it, it is old fashioned social partnership in action, and yeah. you rarely see a, a, an example of that. Yeah, I mean, I'm struggling to really think about where else we have that framework in comparison to colleagues in Europe who kind of regularly kind of. Sit down well, it doesn't. Do it doesn't exist uh, in national minimum wage setting in quite the same way mm. elsewhere. Mm. Uh, and when you talk to colleagues in other countries who are involved in uh, minimum wage setting, that they're just amazed that it works. But it does yeah. work. Yeah, and we've got the evidence. It's that. usually we go over, I think, to Europe and we we kind of talk about our kind of haphazard collective bargaining efforts and people go oh well actually we all sit down and we agree it and it all gets sort of sorted and then we kind of come to talk about the LPC and it seems that that's actually a, a really good it's like a, a standard I think it's a, something we can be really proud of and to what extent within the trade union movement we actually celebrate our role within that fundamentally we're still seen as relevant enough to be on the table aren't we and that as much as we talk about a fall of membership and a fall of collective bargaining we're still seen as a key player in and do we exploit that maybe as much as we should do i mean you know we have often tried to use it as a model and i think actually you talked about the industrial strategy council and there's also been these um sectoral um sector deals that the government set up and i really think the government's kind of missed a trick basically because they've got particularly for those sector deals a great model in the low pay commission where you've shown that unions and employers negotiating together with independent experts almost to kind of keep us all honest really can deliver consensus-based good results which you know we have seen the minimum wage rise consistently without a damaging impact on employment which is exactly what the remit was set and I think government's really missed a trick when it's come to those sector deals and not thought what could we learn from this and really in many cases kind of left unions outside when we've shown that actually if you want it to work you need the workers and the employers around the table Um, so we do try and kind of push it as a model but so far (laughs) government haven't been that receptive. I mean and it's worth just emphasising again 20 years existence of, uh, of the low pay commission 20 years worth of recommendations every year recommendation has been accepted by the government of the day irrespective of the, the color of that government uh, you know that's a, a record of, of, of achievement 
Uh, but of course, then the low pay commission has a has a very decisive impact in the labour market. Mm. What we we're reckoning about what kind of seven percent of the labour market are affected by low by the national minimum wage, national living wage, and then there's all the and then that acts as a platform for loads of people who who have differentials that are respected, and therefore when the NLW NMW goes up, their pay goes up as well. It's a significant yes, contribution. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's nearly three million people are directly affected but many many more than that because many employers who are low payers prefer to pay a bit above above minimum wage rates they tell us that because it makes them more competitive and then there are effects on differentials so higher up the pay pay scales you see the knock-on effects of um, rises in the minimum wage so it is a significant proportion of the workforce that's affected by the recommendation. Yeah, even maybe if you don't think you are affected by it, actually you are. Yeah, well if you think, you know, you start setting your pay grades at the bottom and then you think, well, the person who's, you know, the supervisor of them mm-hmm. needs to be paid X percent more and then their manager needs to be paid X percent more, so increases in the national living wage are really driving pay quite far up the distribution. I love nothing more actually than um, looking at pay scales, but I think part of that is because I feel like pay scales are really important when it comes to equality of payment in the workplace and how if you don't have them and if they're not transparent then that's where we end up with the you can have all the best kind of uh, markers but unless everybody kind of knows what's going on then you don't well it's been like hugely important the national minimum wage and the national living wage now in kind of our incredibly slow progress towards gender pay equality (laughs) because of course it was women who are predominantly low paid and you know raising the floor has predominantly helped them and that's been a really important step forward. I think there's another cultural dimension as well as well as the contribution to gender pay equality which is it's surely right as a society that we say wherever you work whatever you do there is a floor below which you don't fall. Now that's an argument that's still to be run if you think about the one-sided flexibility that, that Taylor pointed out in his uh, his review, in which we've had some discussions on in the Low Pay Commission. Mm-hmm. And it's also, you know, you also don't don't get into the arena of self-employment, bogus or, or, or genuine. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, to have almost on an intuitive level, which I think it is now, that there is a national minimum wage. I mean, you know... That, it was hugely controversial as well. It's worth remembering. Mm-hmm. If you go back and, like, read the debates about the introduction of the national minimum wage, you know, it's rises in employment feared you know unemployment not rises in employment that would be that would be a good thing <laughs> there were but you know dire warnings that this was going to put you know hundreds of businesses out business that we we're going to see mass unemployment obviously huge scaremongering and i think it's quite nice to raise that example when you hear some other scaremongering from business about you know what perhaps policies which benefit workers could do now yeah, but it yeah. was a massively controversial policy intervention actually at the time yeah. um, on one which now we think of as normal we know is successful yeah. but it wasn't like that when it first began and I think the reputation of the lay pay commission has been really important in you know building that consensus that national minimum wages work and you can raise the pay of the lowest paid workers and and broadly the remit of the LPC hasn't changed in its 20 years until there was a recommendation from Taylor to slightly expand it? Well, well it changed a, a bit when George Osborne, when he was Chancellor, announced rather cheekily in the budget that Britain needs a pay rise, stealing PUC's <laughs> campaigning slogan. Well, it and shows it, how and good it, a slogan it, it was It was today. a great slogan, and it remains true today. 
and introduce a national living wage, yeah. uh, which for, for over 25s. So that changed the work of the Low Pay Commission a bit because there was a target, a 2020 target for yeah. the uh, national living wage. And our job has been to set a path towards the target and every year to decide whether we are on course to the path and whether we need to vary uh, the steps along the way. So that, that was a, a slightly different role. And then we were given an extra job this year to look at the recommendations that the Matthew Taylor report had made about dealing with what he called one-sided flexibility and that included a recommendation for uh, an additional minimum wage rate where worker on a zero hours or on a short hours contract had their hours varied uh, without sufficient notice. The job that we were given was to make recommendations on that specifically and on any other ways that it might be possible to tackle what everybody agrees is a serious problem. And the letter to Greg Clark said that that was due, the Rose recommendations were due in October, but but we, you know, from the public, there's still nothing on, on that. Can you sort of give us a bit of, I'm not asking you to divulge any state securities, I mean, feel free to do that later off, off the podcast. Uh, everybody's looking <laughs> we're horrified. We're, 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 we'll be sent that. to the tower. Yeah. We yeah, everybody's looking at me really horrified. It's like, I'm sure I'll find the One of the best somehow. things about being on the Low Pay Commission is you get documents which say official classified on yeah. them, which always makes me feel quite excited and also and very, very worried that I might leave been, them there's somewhere. There's never been a leak. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. And I am extremely careful with them. I should also so add. So, so I would, so. This is why I would never be a commissioner because I would be too much like can't. Talk, I just wouldn't talk to anybody for fear of actually telling them. But but I mean, what's the process for finding out about that? Because I mean, there's been a lot of stuff around sort of Taylor and it, well, ages and all that kind of well, stuff. I mean, but Matthew Taylor's recommendations fall into a number of pots, as it as it were. There are some that the government I mean, the government have consulted. I think six separate consultations on various aspects of Matthew Taylor. Some recommendations the government's already indicated that they will look. They'll, they'll accept the ones that were referred to us as, as Kay, Kay has described. We we have a consensus agreement on, on, on the commission. So as far as we're kind of concerned, it's been signed off. Uh, we understand that the correspondence is 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 either with government or very soon soon will be with government. And then the ball's in their court to work out to work out what they want to do with it, which includes when they're going to disclose or not what we've what we've said to them. Everybody's nodding, nodding yes, their heads in um, agreement. Su- su- suitably cagey, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> and what the letter says is... <laughs> and for more information on that, please download the special podcast, which you will get by donating £10 to the Union's 21 organising fund. Thank you very much. Um, actually, people do do that for podcasts. You can find more information by... I thought you would say they do that up. for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Um, I mean, I th- so I think, you know, the, the main story out of this, which I think is really I- important, is just what a great role this is for for unions to be a part of and what a great template it is 
for kind of managing the labour market in the UK in a kind of Wild West well, style scenario? Kind of y- y- yes, but only yes up to a point, speaking, speaking personally. I mean, we had a, a number of submissions from unions who, no surprise, said the national minimum wage should be higher, the national living wage should be higher, it should be £10 an hour. There should be various things done with the with the the youth rates as we uh, as we call them. There is an argument to, to to say that yes, the process by which we intervene in the labour market in this way is great and it's good and it's quite right that it's on a social partnership basis. But you know, the national living wage, the national minimum wage, are still too low yeah. for, pe- for, for for people to live. Now they'd be even lower without without our work. I yeah. I, I would say. But so so yeah, it's good. But there's there's still more that we could ideally do. Yeah, that's right. But I guess one of the kind of important things in kind of how the Life Pay Commission works kind of for unions is it's our job kind of mm. as commissioners on the union side to make sure we are actually informed by what workplaces are telling us. You know, none of us are in workplaces day to day. So the kind of critical thing in actually making it something that delivers for unions is making sure that we're connected enough to our reps, to our organisers, to people on the ground who are actually telling us what does this mean in workplaces, as Simon says, why it's not going up fast enough and how, you know, to kind of give us the confidence and the sort of not the motivation, I think we've got the motivation to push for more in those negotiations, but the ammunition. And I think that's the kind of interesting thing for kind of how we think about it as a kind of labour market institution and how we spread it more widely, is to make sure that we are building, hopefully this gives us an opportunity to build on what workers are saying in their workplaces about what needs to change. And that's, I think, the lesson we want to draw from it. How can we build those institutions that give workers on the ground more voice? Mm -hmm. Because that's what very much hopefully we're trying to do on our side of the commission yes and the 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 national minimum wage and the national living wage is a flaw and Mm. you you, you mustn't forget that Um, and inevitably every year there is a lot of disappointment that we haven't been able to push it further but it provides that uh, bedrock um, which wouldn't be there if the low pay commission didn't exist it's a bit like when you first start teaching reps about employment legislation one of the first things you sort of say is this is just like the lowest Mm. (laughs) you should see it and the job is always to negotiate or try and get higher so that then you can continue to kind of progress the consensus really isn't it and I think to see this purely as a mechanism by which all right that's it negotiations are done job's over kind of undersells the importance of the institution as well it is about that floor that then we can say right okay this is what it is how do we get higher <laughs> and absolutely and you know it's um living wage week so the Ooh. rates of the voluntary living wage have just been announced and you know many unions use the kind of real living wage as we like to call it as the bottom of their negotiation you know and I think it is really important that we do remember this is a legal a legal flaw it's not the limits of our ambition yeah and um, for tackling low pay so just to remind us as we kind of going on I've got some statistics but I know Kate you oh. as the stats person in the room oh don't say that no <laughs> so, I've got, so just to kind of I'm sorry I've got it up in my mind so okay so uh what's it going to go up by having a little look it's going to be 821 for the national living which is an increase of 4.9%. Which is quite a good... I mean, if you negotiated an increase of 4.9% as an officer right now, you'd be quite... You'd be pretty pleased. You'd be really <laughs> pleased. It also kind of closes the gap between the national living wage and the living wage out of London to less than 80 pence an hour. Worth keeping an eye on that gap. 
Okay. So, I mean, what what is the future for the LPC? Well, I think Kay was talking about um, the target that government set us, and that's the kind of interesting thing. So when George Osborne announced what he called the national living wage, he said it needed to get to 60% of median earnings by 2020. Um, So we're just a year out from that, basically. We've got one more set of recommendations. So the government in the budget, um, quite interestingly, actually said that they had an ambition to end low pay and said that they were going to consult on the remit for the low pay commission. So that might look at whether that target should remain at 60% of median earnings. Um, Definition of low pay is normally 66% of median earnings, two thirds of median earnings. So that's something else that it could look at. It could revert to its previous remit of saying raise the wage as high as possible without affecting employment. And actually, one of the really interesting things about the process of the national living wage is when George Osborne announced that target, he said, we will tolerate some job losses. So actually, we think it's so important to get pay up that you know, we might have some job losses that go alongside that. But what we found actually is you can have these really ambitious increases um, or what were seen as ambitious increases on the kind of previous trajectory and we haven't had any employment impacts yet. So even though government said, okay, we're going to push the wage up, could have some, might lead to some job losses and that will be okay. We haven't seen job losses and I think that should give us a bit of confidence that we can be more ambitious about wage increases in the future without worrying quite... We always worry about their impact on employment, but without thinking that those kind of levels of wage increases will necessarily produce it. Well, well just to add to that, um, as, as Kate said, the government is consulting at the moment following the budget on what the future role of the LBC might be. One of the things we've already decided we're going to do is look at the youth rates uh, because we're not convinced that they are fit for purpose anymore. So that's something that we'll be uh, making some recommendations on um, possibly in the spring, but certainly next year. Um, But as well as that, I think that the fact that the government gave us the job to do on the Taylor recommendations demonstrates that the Low Pay Commission is capable of doing additional work beyond its core remit, uh, looking at uh, the um, bottom end of the home market, if I can put it like that, more broadly. And I would like to see in the future a broader role for the Low Pay Commission on low pay and the um, lower end of the labour market. But with the very strong proviso that the Low Pay Commission were to be given extra jobs like that, it has the extra resources to go with it, and yeah. also that its core job that we've been talking about over the last 20 minutes uh, is not damaged, because mm. that is absolutely central, and that's what needs to be prioritised, and that is what needs to remain. Simon? I would I would endorse that. I mean, I think there is. it's not just the level of the rate, it's the structure of the, the youth rates as well. What actually is the difference between a 25-year-old who gets paid the national living wage and a 24-year-old who's on the national minimum wage? Is, is there any justification statistically to, to justify, justify that difference? Is, should there be a difference between what someone gets paid at 21 and 18? I mean, you know, you're an adult at 18. These are all, you know, meaty, important questions and that that's what we will be turning our attention to but i think you know government has a great resource in the low pay commission we spoke about international comparisons we have people who come to see us mm-hmm. australia new zealand ireland france germany and so on they you know they they want to learn from us we are i think we're a good advertisement for uk plc uh, and therefore you know i would really hope I'm, I'm pleased that the government said let's consult about about the remit and i think there will be a lot of positive ideas that i hope they are expecting anticipating and will and will act upon
Well, I'm going to stop the conversation now because we are all positively optimistic <laughs> about the future and I feel like we could march out with our That's heads held so high. That's just so opportunistic. Kay, Kay, Simon, thank you very much for coming and talking <laughs> to us you. about this. So, listeners, we hope you've enjoyed that, that, that lifting the lid on the low pay, low pay commission. Um, this is the Unionist 21 podcast, not the low pay commission podcast. Uh, but uh, if you want to find out how you can contribute to the low pay commission's work, then you can read the blog that's posted on our site that accompanies this podcast, which will give you all the signposting you need to contact the low pay commission to say, hey, I work in a workplace that I think you should come and look at. As for us, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next podcast. Uh, in the meantime, I'd like to say thank you uh, to, to Kay and Kate uh, for joining us on, on this one. It's been our pleasure to have you listeners uh, along with us for the ride. If you'd like to contribute to the discussion, we'd love to hear your views about this podcast, any of the podcasts, what you'd like to hear in future podcasts, you can email us at info at unions21.org.uk. And in the meantime, don't forget to share wildly Wild, wildly just wildly go go wildly. ahead share, share with whoever go share widely with colleagues and anybody that you think would be interested in the unions 21 podcast don't forget to rate us on your podcast provider so that we can beat the algorithms and show a positive face for the trade union movement here in the uk and beyond so until next time this is me simon Saffron. this is me becky wright i've been kate bell <laughs> kate carberry saying thanks for listening and goodbye, goodbye. The Unions 21 podcast was presented by Becky Wright with a bit of help from Simon Sapper. It was a Makes You Think production.